We have something for you for Veterans Day, but we're going to save that here to the end. We're going to be over in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. As we would start last week talk, talking about, well, a couple of weeks ago, talking about the things that cause us to be, uh, to have something against another, have anything against anyone, as the Word of God put it. Last week we began the, looking at bitterness, which was our second cause. But as um, we see, how bitterness has a lot to do with reactions. And there's this individual who wrote this thing up about uh, chemical reactions, and I thought it was real interesting for how we're we're looking at. He called it Chemistry 101: The Table of Elements, two new additions to the periodic table. Element name: Woman. Symbol: W O. Atomic weight: Don't even go there. Physical properties, generally round in form, boils at nothing and may freeze at any time. Melts whenever treated properly, very bitter if mishandled. Chemical properties, very active, highly unstable, possesses strong affinity for gold, silver, platinum, and precious stones. Volatile when left alone, able to absorb great amounts of exotic food. Turns slightly green when placed next to a shinier specimen. Usage, highly ornamental, an extremely good catalyst for dispersion of wealth. Probably the most powerful income-reducing agent known. Highly explosive in inexperienced hands. Second one, man. Symbol, XY. Atomic weight, 180 plus or minus 50. Physical properties, solid at room temperature, but gets bent out of shape easily. Fairly dense and sometimes flaky. Difficult to find a pure sample. Due to rust and aging, samples are unable to conduct electricity as easily as young samples. Older samples are not able to as easily as young samples. Chemical properties, attempts to bond with WO any chance it can get. <laughs> Becomes explosive when mixed with KD. Element for child. For prolonged periods of time, about one hour. Usage, not known. Possibly a good methane source. <laughs> Caution, in the absence of WO, this element rapidly decomposes and begins to smell. <laughs> Most of the time, the bitterness comes up. It is a reaction between two people, two or more people. Most of the time, the bitterness comes up. It is a reaction. Sometimes, the other one's not even involved. But it is a reaction that comes in. As we review some of the things we went over before, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24 and 26, the verses we've been looking at, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and your father that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your, heaven, your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So we looked at this and said, all right, if having anything against anyone is going to be a problem in our prayer life, we need to find out what is the cause. We don't want to just fix the problem. We want to eliminate the cause. And I told you we came up with three causes of having anything against anyone. The first one we already looked at was pride. The second one we began last week, which was bitterness. In the first one, pride, we saw the root of this is a quality or ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. That's my viewpoint. That's our viewpoint of the thing. When I have a quality or an ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. Most people who get an area of pride feel that something they have is either not used or not used right by other people. Not recognized, things like that. Comes against the godly character, quality of humility. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So all that the devil has to do to get you to be hindered in your prayers is get you out of the area of humility and get you into the area of pride. Now, the, the, the root here is, is uh, forg the idea here is forgiveness. So we put here as the root, I don't forgive because of a distorted view of value and importance. I don't forgive. The cause for unforgiveness here is because of a distorted view of value and importance. I have a distorted view of my value and my importance or the value and importance of the gifts that I have. The second one was bitterness. 
We looked last week at uh, what is bitterness. It's a feeling of deep and bitter anger and ill will, a resentment strong enough to justify retaliation. The root of this is a response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. A response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. A person may not say something to me, but they may look at me funny. They may look at me in a way and I read something into their eyes. They may say something and not meant what I, read, what I interpreted from it. And I can get bitter from this. It's a response that I receive or how someone responded to something I said or, or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. I believe it was wrongful. I'm not saying that it was wrongful. I'm saying that I believe it. I look at it that way. That's where bitterness comes from. When I have that viewpoint that what I received or perceived was wrongful. How many times have people, we looked at people and we felt, I just don't think they like me. Did you ask them? No. <laughs> but then you begin to think, well, I don't know why they don't like me. I haven't done anything to them. And the bitterness can begin to go. We looked at who became bitter and made this statement for you. No one is born bitter. When those babies come out, they may be crying, but after they get done the initial part, I mean, they're cooing and all sorts of people all come in and they're all, look at the little baby, you know. And for me, you know, I'm a guy. And when we see a newborn, it takes at least two weeks for that baby to look cute. Unless it's your own. Throwing is a different, different thing. But usually when they come out, you know, it takes about two weeks for them to really get cute. Come on, guys. You right? But the women, I mean, as soon as they come out, they're cute. My daughter showed me some pictures she had of someone she knew had a newborn. And I looked at them and goes, oh, not yet. <laughs> you know, a couple weeks later, the, the pictures were cute again. But, you know, that's because I'm a guy. You women look at things differently. Reactions. But no one is born bitter. Once bitterness sets in, other responses begin to follow. We become easily angered. When you are bitter at someone, you can become more easily angered at anyone. Isn't that right? And people that carry around bitterness, they just, I mean, you can set them off real easy. They're often offended. They're jealous. Envy sets in. And barriers block relationships. Now, you can keep on going with that list. I just gave you a few. But it comes against the godly character, the godly character quality of joy. People that are bitter are not joyful. Because Satan is replacing the joy of the Lord with bitterness. I don't forgive because of a selfish view of the situation. That's the reason I don't forgive there. Because of a selfish view of of the situation. Now, I told you last week as we looked at Asa, Asa was one who started out great, things were going good, and then all of a sudden the situation came in and he became bitter. So much so that he wouldn't go after God. He, went, he thought he had a good plan. He thought his plan worked and that God should be glad that he had a plan that didn't involve the fighting of Israel's men. And God was not pleased with the plan. He said, you relied on someone else instead of me. And he became bitter at the response that he had. And it, it didn't go well for us after that. He never let it go. So we said last week we wanted to take a look at someone who was approached with this bitterness but overcame it. Because how many of y'all want to overcome it? We don't want to be like Asa <laughs> who went down bitter and died with a disease in his feet because he wouldn't seek the Lord. First Samuel chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag that on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag uh, and, and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So their homes are found burned, 
after an attack, apparently David left no one behind to defend it. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we know that. First off, when they attacked, it said that no one was killed. Right? That means there was no war in taking the city. Which means there was no men of war. They all left. They were all with David. Because if you had a couple of soldiers and they had people come and they wanted to capture all the, the wives, you know that David's men, they would have fought to the end. That's the kind of guys that he attracted, trained up. They would have fought to the end, but no one died, so obviously no one was left behind. Now, when they left, and we see here that some people are mad at David and they want to stone him. The reason for that is they, there are probably some people in the group who said, you know, David, we shouldn't leave the city unguarded. We're going to be gone for a few days. We should leave some people behind. David said, no, it's going to be okay. And David's will won out over the people who said, we ought to leave somebody behind. So they got mad and they wanted to stone David. Because why else do you blame David? If no one had the idea, it's everybody's fault. But if some people had the idea we should leave somebody behind and David said, no, now you're going to blame David. So at this point, many of us would have become bitter at God and proceeded to find who to blame. Isn't that about right? If you went away and you were God's anointed to be king and you're running from Saul and you finally found a place, you know, you could hide out and you were doing some raids to benefit Israel and you're going out on one of those raids to benefit Israel and you came on back doing the Lord's work and came on back and everything is gone. It's really easy to blame God because, God, I'm out there doing your work. Why aren't you protecting my family? Why did you let this thing happen to me? Why did this go on? Because that's how we view things. When something bad happens, don't we say, why did you let this happen to me, God? When I didn't get the promotion? When people in the neighborhood talked bad about me? When the money didn't come in that was supposed to come in? Don't we? we can get mad. God, you were supposed to. Healing didn't happen when it should have. And we look at God and say, God, come on. We look before at Hannah. She's, she's bitter at God. Because she feels like, you know, why are you standing in the way here? But when we come into a place and we're expecting God to do certain things and then we're supposed to do certain things and then those things didn't come about, we get mad. It's really easy for us to get bitter at God. No, God, why didn't you come through for me? I put this in your outline. Bitterness is an emotional response, not a logical one. Bitterness is an emotional response. It is not a logical one. You try and argue logically with someone who's bitter. It's going to work. You're not going to get anywhere. It's not logical. You know, just imagine, you know, the original, original Star Trek. And Spock comes in. If it's not logical, Spock has no clue. That's illogical. And, you know, the captain on that, on that show was very emotional. And, and, and Spock just looks at him and says, I don't understand you. That's not logical. <laughs> You're, if you try and deal with someone caught up in the emotion of a thing with logic, you won't get anywhere. They'll probably just get bitter at you. You can't, you can't go through it logically and, and, and help these people. It's an emotional thing. They've got to let go of that emotion before they can get anywhere. What we need to do is find the differences in the reaction and pattern after these. So here's what we want to do. We want to look at the differences. Here's how David responded we already saw how Asa responded. We're going to review some of those things. But let's see what David did because Asa got bitter. David did not. So let's first off go over what Asa did. He established his rightness. That's the first thing he did. When the rebuke came from the prophet, why did you go out there and make this treaty with Syria and so forth? He established his rightness. Why I am, why I am right for doing it this way. There's a reason for it. I am right for doing it this way. So he first off, he established his rightness and the wrongness of others. And we see that in Asa because he took the prophet who brought the word and what did he do with him? Put him in prison. And some of the people who rose up and said, this isn't right, he oppressed some of them. So he established his own rightness and the wrongness of others. Do bitter people not do this? They establish why I'm right why you are wrong or other people are wrong or everyone else is wrong. This is what bitter people do. 
but they mull over it continually. Why I'm right, why you're wrong. Walls were built between himself and those he was bitter at. Bitter people built up walls. Relationships were hindered and broken. So what we need to do is, is to see some of the things here that David did and learn from those. So let's pick up here, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now I want you to see what David did first. The first thing David did was he strengthened himself in the Lord. How many times have we heard that phrase, strengthened himself in the Lord? We've heard it so many times, it has almost become Christianese to us. Because if, we, if you ask someone, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord, we'll come up with a whole mess of answers. But do we really know how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? If David did this first and it helped keep him from being bitter, how many of y'all believe it's pretty important that we understand how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? If I were to ask you to write a two-page essay on how to strengthen yourself in the Lord, how many of you get past the first paragraph? Don't raise your hand. Inside hands. <laughs> raise them up on the inside. But you see, these are things that we, ought to, we should know. We should know at the drop of a hat, how do I strengthen myself in the Lord? But if I have to go and study it out, that probably means I've never done it. You want to know why bitterness is setting in on you before? Because you don't know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, the reason you don't know how to do it is because most people don't know what it is. So I meditated on this for a little while. And I thought, well, all right, well, how do we, how, what's the easiest way that we can, we can show this? Now, how many have ever seen the movie Iron Man? I've seen it. Now, I didn't know who Iron Man was until we took off as a men's group and we went out there and watched the movie. I was into you know, a handful of superheroes when I was a kid, but Iron Man was not one of them. I never knew who Iron Man was until we went out and saw the movie. Uh, a whole mess of other ones, too. They're, they're bringing up the movies with old ones, you know, Green Lantern, the Lantern. I never knew who he was. Still don't know who he is. And uh, was it Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Captain America, and guys? I don't know who they are. I don't know what they did. But, you know, there's movies out about them, so now you can go out there and find out. Some of you all may know who they are. That's all good. You know, I had mine that I, when I was a kid, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, stuff like that. I knew who they were, but uh, these other guys, I, and, and there's still other ones out there that I, I don't know about. But I'm going to bring up Iron Man for you, because some of us have seen the movie of late. Maybe you didn't see the movie, you saw the commercials. And, you know, what makes Iron Man strong? And how long does it take Iron Man to put on his suit? seconds it is a very complex suit if you watch the movie i don't know what the comic strip was about i only saw the movie but the movie it was a very complex suit now it evolved over the, the time but by the time you get midway into the movie he's got the real good one he just stands on a platform out like this and a machine comes and dresses him in the suit and bang he can go off and and once he puts that suit on he can fly he's bulletproof uh, I don't know what else. He, what, I don't know all the powers of, of Iron Man, but whatever it is, he can do all those things. And he's uh, he's very strong and apparently very indestructible. But it takes him no time at all to put the suit on. So he goes from being mild mannered, whatever the guy's name is, to Iron Man in seconds. He puts it on. That's kind of like what it is to strengthen yourself in the Lord. See, sometimes we're, we're thinking wrongly on this. We're thinking, well, I've got to get into the presence of God. And I've got to worship for a while. I've got to pray for a while. And if I worship for a while and I pray for a while, you know, eventually I get... We're thinking electric car. You know how you charge up an electric car? You get a super outlet installed on your garage... That only works your car. And you plug a plug from there into your car overnight and charge it up. No longer go into the gas station and in five minutes be ready to go. Overnight you charge it up. But be careful. They just recalled these units because they're setting houses on fire. Aren't electric cars wonderful? I heard somebody just wrote an article on one. They were trying to be favorable toward it. 
And they wrote this article on the electric car. And they said the whole time they were driving it, they were scared. They were nervous driving the car because they weren't sure, do I have enough charge? Am I going to run out of, of, uh, of electricity? Am I going to be stranded on the road? Can I get there? Can I get back? And, and they said it was just an unnerving thing for them to, to have gone through and to have done that, all that sort of thing. But you put the electric car on the charger and you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And eventually, it'll charge up. And then you can go out and do your business and then it'll run down and you come on back and you plug it back in and you charge it back up again. Sometimes that's what we have the idea about with strengthening ourselves in the Lord. I've got to plug into worship and wait. And wait. And wait. And then go pray for a while and wait. And wait. And just let that energy come into me. Get stronger and stronger. But I don't get that picture here for David. It said David strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he sought the Lord's counsel. And the men were ready to stone him. How many of y'all know if the men are ready to stone you, you do not have time to plug the electric car in overnight? You need an Iron Man suit. If the guys are coming to stone you, you need an Iron Man suit. You need one that's going to get on in seconds and you transform you into Iron Man. You're ready. Well, see, this is what it is with God. But we're, we're, we're geared to the wait and get in His presence and wait. And after days, maybe even weeks, eventually we get stronger. Dear Lord, if that's the case, you're dead. That's not going to happen. No, you need to get strong in the Lord and you need to get strong in the Lord now. I mean, if we have spinach for Popeye, how long does it take Popeye to get strong? He eats, the, he opens up that can and it's raw spinach right out of the can, swallows it and his muscles explode. And he's ready to go. It don't take long at all. This is what we need. We are facing an enemy who wants to take us down. We don't need plug-in electric cars that take all night to charge up. We need Iron Man suits type things. I need to be able to put that sucker on and go. He strengthened himself in the Lord. So here's a couple of questions for you. One, why does he need to be strengthened? Why is he not strong all the time? And two, how did he get strong so quickly? If we can understand these two things, we can fight off bitterness in our life. It's because we don't understand how to do these things. That's why we get bitter. That's why we get bitter. That's what comes after us. So he first strengthens himself in the Lord. Now, I almost dropped one of these out of your outline because I was running out of, as you can see, I was running out of room. So I dropped one, but I was able to keep the second one in. So here's the first one that I had to drop out. If you want to write this in, if this means something to you, you can write this in by hand somewhere on the sideline, whatever, but, you know, type, you just can't, you can only put so much stuff in there. Any situation that can make you bitter, any situation that can, that has the potential to make you bitter, will first drain your strength by focusing it where it will do no good. Any situation that can make you bitter will first drain your strength by focusing it where it will do no good. That's what happens here first. If I get a situation and it has the potential to make me bitter, it first will drain my strength. It's got to make me weak. How do you take out Superman? What does kryptonite do? Drains his strength. If you drain... See, they've got a lot of biblical pop, pro, uh, properties in these superhero things. If you drain the strength of Superman, you've got a shot. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Satan knows I've got to drain your strength. I've got to take that strength away. David just came back from the battle. Would he not be strong coming back from a battle? But then something happened when they came in and saw the city that now he needs to be strengthened. Any situation that can make you bitter will first drain your strength by focusing it where it will do no good. So he comes back in. He sees everybody's gone. They don't know right now. Are they dead? Are they alive? They don't know what the status of them. They just know that they're gone. They don't know what they've done to them. They don't know if they hurt them. 
So all their energy now goes into. Come on, you've been in these kind of situations. Where all where does all your energy go into? Worry. Worry is the Christian's kryptonite. The Word of God says, what about worry? Don't do it. Don't take it on. Be anxious about nothing. Do not worry. Do not have any fear or anxiety about anything. Doesn't Jesus warn us about that? There's a reason for it. Superman is warned. Do not get near the kryptonite. But he always does. Always does. Not intentionally, I guess, but, you know, it's always he's near the kryptonite. I often wondered how much kryptonite actually fell on this earth. Because it seems like it's all over the place. And he's always getting weak. But it doesn't just make him weak. It looks like he's going to die. Any minute now, he's going to die. Got that kryptonite there on him. Satan knows if I get you to worry, I've directed your strength into another area. And now you're susceptible. So just think of it this way. Worry is the Christian's kryptonite. Because it's going to take your energy that was meant for other things and to direct it to worry, fear, and anxiety. And if he gets you to direct your energy to worry, fear, and anxiety, aha, now we got you. And then we can put the stuff in there that we want to. Because you can't put a bullet into Superman because he's the man of steel. But if you have kryptonite there, what happens? Man, you can stab him. You can punch him. You can make him bleed. You can do all kinds of stuff to him. And Satan knows that's the same thing about the Christian. If I get worry, anxiety, and fear on you, I got you. Your strength is gone. So when he first comes back, what's David's response? What's David's reaction? Worry, fear, and anxiety sapped his strength. So what's he do? He does not respond out of weakness. He goes away and he strengthens himself in the Lord. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Here's our question. Simple. Put on the Iron Man suit. Put on what you're supposed to put on. Put off the worry, fear, and anxiety and put on joy. Put on gladness. Put on faith. Put on hope. Put on the properties that God said, these are good properties. Put them on. Put them on. You can put them on. They're good. There's, but you think, well, it's not appropriate right now. My wife and kids have been taken away. I shouldn't have joy. I should have fear and anxiety. That's proper. It's the proper thing that you should do. Have fear and anxiety and respect for the missing women and children. But that's not what he did. No, he put on joy. Glory to God. Guys, let's go get them back. <laughs> let's go get them back. So he first off, he strengthens himself in the Lord. And then he seeks his counsel. He seeks the Lord's counsel. All right, God, what should we do? How should we go about this? Now, most people today seek for strength in God's counsel. That's backwards. Get the strength on and then get the counsel. Get the strength on. Put back on the joy. Put back on the faith. Put back on the hope. Put those things back on. You took them off when you, put, when you took on fear, worry, and anxiety. Put them back on. That's a strong suit. Now, here's the second thing I did. didn't write in there. Well, this one I did write in. When most people get bitter, when most people get bitter, they respond from a weakened condition. When we get bitter, we respond. We're weakened because we've given in to fear, worry, and anxiety and other things like that. And we are weakened and then we respond. Bitterness is a what kind of response? Emotional response. I respond by based on my emotions, which are now weakened. They're not in godly character at all. That, that can't be good. And stay weak as what strength they have. Now, get this. This is real important to understand this. What strength they have is constantly refocused. Every time that any strength comes in them at all, all the devil has to do is wave this situation up in front of them that they're bitter about, and they get in fear, worry, and anxiety, and it saps the strength right out of them. And they have no strength to stand in front of the enemy because he's got this bitterness inside. No strength. Let me read it all to you again. When most people get bitter, they respond from a weakened condition and stay weak as what strength they have is constantly 
refocused. It's refocused right onto that thing that they're bitter about. And they go right after it. Let it go. It's not helping you. It's not helping you. Now, here's another thing he does. He first off, he strengthens himself in the Lord. He then seeks the counsel of God. And he resists reacting to the bitterness of others. He doesn't react to it. His men are coming to him to stone him. How many of y'all know if you want to stone somebody, there's probably a little bit of bitterness there. That's not normal. We don't usually want to go around and stone people unless, you know, we've got some bitterness going on, some anger. He resists reacting to the bitterness of others. He doesn't look to these guys and react to them and begin to direct his fight against those people. He seeks counsel against God and he says, all right, guys, look, this is what we need to do. He maintains his responses to those that come from love from God, or love for God and his soldiers. He maintains his responses, all the responses, all the words that have come out of his mouth, all the things that he says and does. He maintains his responses to those that come from love for God and his soldiers. Doesn't matter if they deserve it. Doesn't matter if he thinks they were partly responsible. He doesn't do that. He loves his God. Even though situations were coming out trying to tell him, be bitter, be angry at God, look what God did. And for the men, I, I, was, I wasn't the one who, who took all of our people off. Doesn't do that. Now, before we get into the rest of that, let's, let's uh, pick up where we left off. Verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary they could not cross the brook Besor. Why were they weary? Because their strength is gone. But they didn't know how to strengthen themselves in the Lord. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Now before we go on in this, they found a guy that right now they are assuming is part of the company that had just taken their, their folks. They don't know if he was one of the ones taken or one of the ones involved with the people who came down. But look at how they respond. They feed them. They give them water. Give them some nice food. Figs, raisins, stuff like that. I mean, some nice food. Now, David's got all these men with him. How many, how many men do you think probably came up to David and said, let's just kill him? Right? Let's just kill this boy. I mean, he's somehow he was involved. Let's not sit around and figure out what it was. Let's just kill him. That wouldn't be good, would it? And that's not that's a reaction out of bitterness. What's David do? No, I'm getting something from the Lord here. I think we need to feed this boy. And after they fed him, gave him water, they gave him good food. And he was strengthened quickly. And he was able to talk to them. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? Apparently up till now they don't even know. And he said, I am the young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. Oh, he's a servant of the enemy. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in a territory which belongs to Judah and of the south area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. Who did? We did. <laughs> Now, if you're one of the men, what are you thinking? You burned, you burned my house. Can you, can you imagine the feelings that are coming up? Where are they from? Bitterness. And David said to him, can you take me down to the troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to the troop. And when he had brought him down. There they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Was there any reason to be bitter? 
No. They recovered every, every bit of it. And then some. Now, he took them down to the camp and they were spread out all over. The reason that they were probably spread out so over is because they had taken such a vast array of spoil. They could not be condensed because the sheep and the camels and the goats and the livestock that they had taken needed to spread out so that they could eat. So when David came down with his now 400 men, they were able to take them on a small group at a time. Not that God wouldn't have delivered them if they were all together. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David. Did you know that David had some worthless and wicked men who were part of his company? And that it didn't instantly change because they were part of David's company? They didn't sign on with David and say, Go over to God. We are no longer wicked and worthless. Now we are righteous people. Now we all have good reactions. <laughs> they didn't do that. They were still wicked and worthless. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. We don't know how many wicked and worthless. We just know that there was some percentage of the 400 men who had gone on. But David said, My brethren, you are wicked and worthless. Depart from me. He didn't do that, did he? How many of you know some wicked and worthless people you like to say, Depart from me. Now, God gave you some wicked and worthless people in your life to try and help them out and get them, get them turned around. And David turned these 600 men around, folks, into some really powerful people. And understand that some of them were wicked and worthless. When David got finished with them, they were not. But at this point, we see the character that, they, that David had to deal with. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. <laughs> See, the wicked and worthless want the good guys to go away. <laughs> but David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. How are they responding? Out of bitterness. What did they get bitter over? Well, we fought this battle. You guys are too tired to go on. We fought this battle. You can have your wife and your kids, but that's it. The rest of the stuff's ours. We fought. You weren't there. You were over there resting by the brook. Too tired to go on. Weary. Weak. They became bitter over it. And they reacted out of the bitterness. How does the worry and fear and all that come in? Because they were fearful that what they had, they were going to lose. Bitter people are fearful that what they have, they're going to lose. And so they try and hoard it and protect it. Doesn't work. David's answer, My brethren, you should not do so with what the Lord has given us. With who? With who gave it to him? The Lord. What a different way of looking at it. Are these wicked and worthless men looking at this in such a way to say that the Lord gave it to us? No, what are they saying? We got it. We worked hard. And we got this. David says, no, because David strengthened himself in the Lord and is reacting out of that. The Lord gave us this. We just took on an awfully large group of people and we got the stuff that made an army happy. We got it all. Can you imagine that? Spoil that made an army happy, a large army happy. David's 600 men got it all. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. So he took that abundance because it was more than 600 people needed. And he said, Let's do something with it. Let's sow it. Let's sow it out there because we could use some favor with some people. Let's take this and let's sow it to some of the folks in Judah. Let's let them know, hey, we had a great victory from the Lord. We're just going to sit here. Just have some. <laughs> I mean, if somebody, can you imagine this? If somebody in your neighborhood, not, not a neighbor, but someone in your neighborhood won the lottery, a big one, the, one of the $250 million type. And they knocked on everybody's door and say, I just won $250 million. Here is $50,000 for you. Really? 
I, I didn't do anything for this. Is that how most people respond? No. <laughs> it's not how most people respond, is it? You know how people respond. Because they get in fear, they're going to lose what I have. This is not what David does. So we pick up here again on our list. If wrongs are found, he changes what he can and sets an example to follow for the things he can't. He sets an example of how people should respond because he can change that. I can't change how these guys are going to respond in themselves, but I can set a good example for them. And what he can change, he doesn't dwell on. People who are bitter, folks, are people who dwell on stuff that they cannot change. How many of y'all know you cannot change the viewpoints of some relatives that you don't agree with? Can't change it. So don't dwell on it. You can't change some of the hurts that have gone on in the past, can you? It's the past. Can't change it. Don't dwell on it. Nobody here, I'm sure, but you all know people who dwell on things of the past. If you go up and talk to them about it, they instantly come out with something that happened in the past that was bad. How many also know some people that you know somewhere along their past they had to have some things that went on, but you never hear it from them. And if you ever ask them, can you tell me, uh, tell me something really bad that happened to you in the past? Well, I really can't think about that right now. I'm not real sure. Why? Because they don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on things that happened in the past. We all have bad things that happened in the past. Get over it. You can't change it. Get over it. Yeah, your choice. You either get over it or you get hung up with it. So just let it go. Oh, well. <laughs> can't change that one, can we? Just got to get over it. Now, here's one of those things that I wrote in mine that's not in yours. You can write it down here if you want to. You probably understand this anyway. Bitter spices are not subtle. They call for you to give them your attention. Ever had a dish with horseradish in it? You can tell horseradish is in it, unless you cook it. You can tell horseradish is in it. You know, you have ketchup, and then you have cocktail sauce. You know what cocktail sauce is? Put the horseradish in the ketchup. A little bit of hot sauce, but it's the horseradish. You get good horseradish, put that in your ketchup, that stuff will burn your nostrils right on out. There's no hiding that thing is going to be there. <laughs> horseradish is a bitter herb. We had a one time we were taking the youth group out to uh, uh, creation. Uh, my brother was very instrumental in this. He was the only one I trusted to be involved in the scheme that we had put together for the youth group. We took about 20 or so youth up, and we had to plan all the meals and um, and different things along. But for the meal part, we had to plan this, and we had you know we tried to come up with good stuff, and we had other campgrounds that came over to our our campground. What are you cooking? We made French toast. We had eggs. We had uh, we didn't have normal. We didn't have hot dogs and hamburgers all the time. We had meals, and one of these meals was ham. We were going to do these ham steaks for them, and so we got these this ham, and we had it all sliced up, and we had a special seasoning that we had prepared for this ham, but we wanted no one to know it. And so Alan and I went back to the campsite early to cook dinner while everyone else stayed back at the meetings. And we prepared the sauce for the top and we cooked it up. And we had campgrounds from way on the other side coming over. What are you cooking? Man, that smells good. And I tell you what, it did. It smelled really good. I have to say it. Whew, it was good. And so uh, all the kids that came on in, they said, what is this that you made? What is the sauce that you put on it? We're not telling you. Now, you all know I can keep a secret. My brother can keep a secret. We are good. If we have a contest to see who could keep the secret the longest, the Lord Jesus would come before any of us would win. <laughs> I guarantee you, the Lord Jesus would come before any of us would win. Neither one of us is compelled to ever share a secret. We just are never compelled. We, it's fine for me to keep it. Keep it all my life. That's all right. That's good. So we had the secret. And so we, didn't, we had agreed together when we would tell them. And it was not until the trip home. So we went through, and eventually they stopped asking, and we went on home. And so on the way home, Alan and I, we got up in the front of the bus, and we said, all right, y'all, y'all want to know what the ham seasoning was. And so we're here to tell you what it is. It was brown sugar, lemon juice, 
and horseradish. And their faces, there was horseradish in that? Sure it was. If you cook it long enough, you get the heat out, you just leave the flavor behind. But otherwise, if you don't cook it and you have that horseradish in there, how many of y'all can tell? Horseradish. My wife got his, uh, this new cheese some many months ago, uh, a long time ago, and we have been enjoying it so much. It's American cheese, and they had horseradish in it. Oh, man. Oh. I mean, I love American cheese to begin with. It's just my favorite cheese in the entire world is American cheese. But you put horseradish in it. Oh, man. And it's got bite, too. It's not cooked horseradish. It's got some bite to it. Mm, it's, it's good stuff. Bitter herbs, they call for your attention. You can't just put them in and not know that they're there. You like the flavor that they leave behind. But you're very, very aware. And if you do too much of the bitter herb, what happens? Oh, 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 it's not good. It's too much. It's too much. Bitters, bitter spices are not subtle. Bitterness, folks, is not subtle. You can pick up a bitter person instantly. The more spiritually sensitive you are, the more when a bitter person comes to talk to you, they may be smiling and look like they're full of joy the whole time. And you can tell, you got bitterness in you. <laughs> You're just bitter. I don't know what, what, but you can just tell. There's bitterness there. Y'all can tell a certain dish has a lot of salt in it. Why? You didn't see how much salt they put in. You just can tell. It has a... Bitter spices are not subtle. They come out. Bitterness will come out. You've got to guard against it. How do you guard against it? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Take off those things that bitterness tried to put on you and put back on the godly properties. Then you're strengthening the Lord. The way that you are weakened is to take on that kryptonite. Get rid of it. You don't need kryptonite. It's not going to help you out. Get out of it. Oh, we've got one more story. We're going to breeze through this one kind of quick. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. She, so she sent, told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war pr- pr- prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of the Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. Maybe he's thinking that his wife will get word that she's around and come on home and she'll drag him on. You come on home and see the kids. You come on home, I have something that needs to be fixed. Thought I had to wait for a little while. Wait here until today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the next, the day, that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. <laughs> and that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So he thought, if I make him drunk, he'll go home. <laughs> no, even in his drunken state, he still wouldn't go down to the house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in front of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. And so it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there would be valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and the charge of messengers saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? 
Was there not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then he shall, then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Job had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field that we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David sent to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Before we go into that, let's take a look at this. Why would Joab attack the city in such a way that he knew it would be hazardous? Now, if you meditate on the city, or meditate on this for a little while, it can sometimes just kind of skip right over you. Why? He's a, he is probably one of the best generals in that day and age. He is very, very good. He is so good, few people give him a fight. David has conquered every enemy that they've come against and the reason for it is because of his general. He is that good. He's not a very good person, but he's a phenomenal general. And David kept him around because of his skill at leading the men. And so as I meditate on this, I think, why would he do a stupid move if he knows that David's just going to rebuke him for it? He loves his men. He's not going to send his men into a place to, a, to attack. So the only thing I can think of is if you are a, an incredibly good general and no one really can come up with a scheme to stop you, then I think probably what he was trying to do was he came up while he was sleeping at nighttime, he came up with a maneuver to do when you were close into the city. But he knew it was risky. And if he took the risk, there would be a problem if a lot of people died. And David would get mad. So when he saw this note come with Uriah, he began to think, this is an opportunity, because this is the kind of man he is, this is an opportunity for me to test out this new technique and see if it works. Because if it works, I could, reach, I could change warfare against the city. Whatever it was, if it works... We could change things. It didn't work. But he had a failsafe. All right, when David says it was a bad move, why in the world would you do such a stupid thing? Because it looks stupid. Whatever it is he did, it looks stupid. Tell him, Uriah is also dead. He'll be okay. So that's what he did. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, we're going to see a little bit different reaction from David on this situation than the past one. We still see there's an act that came up that can cause bitterness. David went out there and got the woman to come on home. And, you know, he just thought, well, it's, go by the wayside is no big deal. But she's pregnant. And obviously, it's not her husband. Because he's been at war a long time. So, you know, husband can't come home and say... Honey, guess what? That's not going to happen. So we've we got to do something. So he then he concocted another scheme. Now, right there, he's got an opportunity to become bitter. Who's he going to become bitter at? He can become Bathsheba, uh, bitter at Bathsheba for getting pregnant. He can get bitter at, at uh, 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 what's his name, um, uh, Uriah, because he brought Uriah home to try and cover it up, and Uriah didn't go home. And instead of seeing the integrity of such a man of God, he saw he got bitter at him. Got so bitter, he decided to lead him into being drunk. And that didn't work. And so then he wrote a letter to commit murder, to become an accomplice to commit murder. You see how bitterness is taking him down the wrong way? Wrote a letter to commit murder and involve someone else. See, it's one thing when you bring about bad things. It's another thing when you involve someone else. And that's what he did. He brought Joab in on it. Now, from this point on, Joab's got something on him. And he's compromised in what he can do. And you'll see this at the end of his life. He does not deal with Joab the way that he, he should have. And he even tells his son, deal with, deal with Joab. I couldn't. You deal with him. And he did deal with him. And Joab died. But more and more people got involved. And, and things went on. And things progressed. And I, we're not going to read the rest of the story. You can read it when you get on home. But you know that the prophet came to him and said, David, i got a story to tell you. There's a man who had a sheep that treated like a family member. 
And they had a neighbor. Or the sheep that would eat from at the table and they would sleep in the room with the kids. It was just, it was just a, real close to this, this little sheep, like a puppy, what we consider a puppy. And then a neighbor had sheep, all kinds of them, and they had a, somebody who came to eat. And instead of taking out of his thousands of sheep, he came over and he got the sheep that was like family. And he killed that sheep and fed it. And David was mad. This man shall, shall die and he shall repay and all these different things he, he committed against him. And Nathaniel said, David, you're the man. Now, David's already bitter. And he's committing cover-ups and schemes to try and put this thing behind him. And it just won't go away. And now Nathan comes. Remember before, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he sought the Lord's counsel. He didn't strengthen himself in the Lord this time. And now the counsel of God has sought him. Now, we saw that with Asa. Asa had the counsel of God seek him. What did he do? He rejected it. Now, the counsel of God is coming after David. He's got this bitterness on the inside. It's growing. We told you last week, if you allow bitterness to grow, it gets more and more and more a hold of you. It grows. So, he's presented with this. He has a choice right now. He can either go in such a way to reject the counsel of the Lord and continue on his way of bitterness or the way that he did. Which was, I have sinned before the Lord. He could have done this a whole lot sooner and cleaned things up, but he didn't do it. I have sinned before the Lord. And the prophet said, that's all right, David. You're not going to die. And he proceeded to tell him the things that were going to go on. So he's at a crossroads. And fortunately, he chose to go in the right direction. Fortunately, he chose to to do that. I put this in your in the end here. This is what I want you to see. This is the path that will prevent you from getting into bitterness. Now, David, we just saw he got into bitterness and how he got out. When the counsel of the Lord comes, receive it. But bitter people, how many of y'all know bitter people and you've taken the counsel of the Lord to help them out in their situation and they reject it? So which way do they go? On the path to continue in bitterness. But if they sit there and do as David did, I have sinned before the Lord. And he humbled himself. Yep, I did it. But if you want to keep yourself out of bitterness, here's the path. First off, get strengthened. We told you how to get strengthened before the Lord. How is it that you strengthen yourself in the Lord? First off, get strengthened. Second, find counsel. It is far better that you find counsel than that counsel find you. The Word of God in the New Testament tells us, judge yourself so that you won't be judged. In other words, seek counsel, otherwise counsel will seek you. <laughs> That's what it's coming down to. So get strengthened, find counsel. So after this situation has come on and it wants to get you bitter, which is falling into fear, anxiety, and worry, wants to get you bitter over the situation, get strengthened, get that stuff off, put on back on the good properties, find counsel, go to the Word of God, go to somebody, Help them. How should I respond out of this? I don't want to respond out of anger and bitterness and things of that nature. Respond lovingly. Always keeping the love of God at the forefront. You know from the First Corinthians, we've taught it here before, the principles of love. Respond out of those. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Read over those verses of Scripture. Real helpful. Those are love responses. Get strengthened. Find counsel. Respond lovingly. And change yourself. Change yourself. You cannot change other people. You can only change yourself. Don't take on the responsibility that I had to change everybody else around me. No, it's not your job. You can't do it. You present people with the thing. When the prophet came to David, could the prophet change David? No, he could present him. Could the prophet change Asa? No. Asa had to change Asa. David had to change David. David did, Asa did not. Change yourself. If there's something you need to do to change, change it. Get it out. Just stop. If we don't, I, I don't need to be feeling that way. I need to drop that. I don't, that's going to sap my strength. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're going to be strong in the Lord. Put on the joy of the Lord. Just get it on. 
Well, I don't feel joyful. Don't care how you feel. Be joyful. Be glad. It's the Word of God talks about. Take these properties on. Get strengthened. Find counsel. Respond lovingly. Change yourself. Stay out of bitterness. You stay out of bitterness, the enemy cannot pull you down. He cannot get you to have anything against anyone. People will do all kinds of stuff to you and you just go on, smile, glory to God, isn't it a day good? <laughs> Things are fun. But don't, what if, look at so-and-so just did to you. Well, you know, that's on them. I can't, I, <laughs> just love them. Glory to God, I'm, they, they just probably had a bad day or who knows. Let's just go on and just be joyful. Just be joyful. Don't let people doing stupid things drag you down. If they want to do stupid things and get drugged down, well, let them do stupid things and get drugged down. But don't mean you have to go down with them. Does not mean that you have to go down with them. You, you keep going. Do the things you need to do. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. If you get nothing else out of the story, I hope you get this. When the situations come in, they can make us bitter. They want to sap your strength. And they sap your strength instantly. But just as instantly, you can strengthen yourself. Just as quickly as worry, anxiety, and fear take away your strength. Glory to God. Putting that stuff back on gives it to you right back again. Iron Man. Put on the suit. Now you're strong. Now you're strong. Able to withstand any kind of attack. You're strong. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. If the joy of the Lord isn't going with you, then bitterness has probably gotten in. If offense, if you keep seeing, find yourself offended at this and offended at that and offended at this, then folks, get rid of the bitterness that's on the inside of you. Get the joy of the Lord on the inside. Be joyful. Well, you don't know my situation. Don't matter. The joy is of the Lord. The joy of myself is my strength. No, that's not right. The joy of, of who? The Lord. So it's the joy of the Lord. That's His strength. What? The joy of the Lord is? My strength. My strength. My strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't feel joyful. Don't matter. It's His joy. His joy is your strength. You put on His joy, you are strong. That's it. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Put on His joy. But I don't feel joyful. It don't matter if you feel joyful. It's His joy. He is joyful. Right now, God is joyful. Put on His joy. But I still don't feel joyful. It don't matter. It does not matter. Put on the joy of the Lord to get rid of worry, anxiety, and fear. Bitterness has no place to get hold of you. It cannot get hold of you. We have winter coming up. How many are looking forward to winter coming up? Nobody, huh? Oh, it's all right. We've got one. <laughs> one person. You know, one, one of the things that happens at winter is when you, yeah, it is cold. Is you drive around and when there's snow and there's ice, how many will not drive when there's snow and ice on the ground? If you see snow and ice, how many if, if, will drive if there's snow but not if there's ice? Ice, no driving. No, because what happens when you drive and there's ice on the road? The tires, they grab hold of the road, suddenly don't grab hold of the road anymore. And you what? Slide. Right? You slide. And now different cars are different about it. But, you know, you, you, you get those ones that, tires that really work on snow and they grab hold of snow and they can grab hold of any snow. But ice is still ice. And the problem with driving on ice is that the tires can't get hold of the road. But see, if you have the joy of the Lord, bitterness can't get a hold of you. It can't get a hold of you. It tries. It comes at you and it just slides right off. <laughs> and you laugh at it. You laugh at it. It's gone. It can't, it can't hang on. And it tries again. And it can't hang on. It just slides. Oh, that's good. How many of you would, if you could... How many of you would install a floor in your kitchen in which dirt would slide right off? That there was no dirt known to man that could attach itself to your floor. Every single type of dirt 
would become detached and just slide. Right. How many of you would put that floor down? <laughs> no more. No, just take the broom and it just all slides right off. Take the vacuum over top, it just slides right off. No more dirt, nothing there. That's what God has done. He has put the joy of the Lord in you. He has enabled you to be strengthened with His might. And when these things come upon you, they cannot get hold. They cannot get hold. Anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone. Who is bitter. bitter. Anyone. anyone. Doesn't matter who. I mean, anyone who is bitter (laughs) is in their own strength. Anyone who is bitter is in their own strength. You cannot be in the strength of the Lord and be bitter. It is not possible. It is like Superman being strong with a belt of Kryptons. It does not happen. You are made to be Superman. Superwoman. You are made to be that. Stop grabbing hold of the things that can make you weak. Bitterness is one of those things. Let it go. The devil wants you to get bitter. Doesn't care what you get bitter at. Doesn't get how you get bitter. Doesn't care what the situations are. All he cares is that you get bitter. And then once you get bitter, you stay bitter. And he'll keep fanning the flame. Keep bringing stuff up. Keep bringing things up. Well, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, and they did this. And they shouldn't have done Oh, they did this. And you'll keep going over that. And you'll go to bed at nighttime thinking on it. You wake up in the morning thinking on it. And you just get bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter. And you get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And pretty soon anything can get a hold of you. Your finances start to go down. Your health goes down. Because bitterness has gotten hold. If you have anything against anyone, this is one of those things that gives you a prime area to have anything against anyone. It's bitterness. Oh, glory to God. We can let it go. We can let it go. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the strength of the Lord. We are strong in the strength that you have. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That joy of the Lord comes upon us and we are strong. You told us, Father, in your word to meditate on these things. That whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, and so forth. You told us, meditate on these things because bitterness isn't in them. Fear, anxiety, worry is not there. Glory to God. We can keep ourselves from being bitter. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Glory be to your name. We give you the praise and the glory for it. As situations come up and we see, oh, I have an opportunity to be bitter here. We can watch ourselves react right. We can see ourselves put on the strength of the Lord through his joy. We can see ourselves getting strengthened in the Lord. Seeking the counsel of God. Doing those things that you say to do. Responding out of love. Not out of anger and bitterness and offense and all the other things. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We give you the praise and the glory for it.